0: A couple of years ago, as I was traveling to the Angel Spring Training Facility in Tempe, Arizona, I encountered encountered a man on the flight who had a rather limited view of God's abilities, of God's power. As he watched me work on a Bible study, he finally got up the nerve to ask the following question. He said this. He said, "Uh, surely you don't believe all you read in the Bible, do you? I said, well, actually, I do. And he continued to say, come on, you know, some of the stories are a little far-fetched, aren't they? And I asked him, I said, well, which ones are you referring to? He says, well, like the so-called miracles, you know, Jesus walking on water and feeding, you know, thousands of people with a couple of fish and a couple of, you know, pieces of bread or, you know, healing all these diseases. He said, you know, how do you explain those types of events? I mean, come on now, a rational, logical person, you know, certainly wouldn't believe such things like that. You know, I thought about it for a second and I came back to him with this. I said, well, let me ask you a couple of questions. Which do you think is more difficult creating the water out of nothing or walking on it <laughs> said creating and providing the world's food supply or simply multiplying it said or creating mankind or healing man said which is the bigger miracle you know, skepticism reminds me of two stories that I want to share. The first is told of nine-year-old Joey. Nine-year-old Joey was asked by his mother what he had learned in Sunday school, and he said this. He said, well, Mom, he goes, our teacher told us how God sent Moses behind enemy lines on a rescue mission to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. When he got to the Red Sea, he had his engineers build a pontoon bridge, and all the people walked across safely. Then he used his walkie-talkies to radio headquarters for reinforcement. They sent bombers, man, to blow up the bridge, and all the Israelites were saved. And his mom went, Joey, now is that really what your teacher taught you today in Sunday school? And he looked at her and said, well, no, Mom. But if I told it the way she told it, you wouldn't believe it. You know what I mean? You know, the second story involves an older woman who was verbally, verbally being berated by a man who questioned her as to how she could be as, so stupid to believe what she was reading in the Bible. After several minutes, the woman kindly asked him to give an example of what he thought was so hard to believe. And he immediately came to her with the story of Jonah being swallowed by a whale or great fish lived in the belly of this great fish for three days and was spit out alive after three days. And he looked at her in a rather sarcastic way and said, you know what, how, how in the world can you explain something as crazy as that? How did he survive? And she said, well, you know what, I'm not really sure, uh, but when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask him. So the man turned her and said, yeah, well, what if Jonah didn't go to heaven? What if Jonah went to hell? And she thought for a minute and smiled and said, well, then you can ask him. <laughs> and then I think she said, bless your heart. <laughs> I don't know. But, but, the, but the interesting thing of the stories is, is that we live in a world that doesn't stop to think about the ramifications of some of those questions. You know, well, how can you explain the miracles of God? Well, I mean, you have to know God. You have to know who he is. You have to know what he's capable of doing. You have to understand and realize that, you know what, everything that we see came because of him. He spoke the world into existence. The word in Genesis that's used in the beginning, God created is a word that means he took from nothing and made into something that we see. So God spoke the world into existence by the power of the Word of God, and then God said, "Let there be light," and there is light. And then God said, He spoke the world into existence, an idea that He was able to come to, that it was able to come to fruition because of the awesome power of God. You know, several years ago, a sportscaster by the name of Al Michaels asked this historic question as the youthful U.S. hockey team was about to upset the the more veteran and experienced Russian team. He said, "This: Do you believe in miracles? Do you believe in miracles?" And every time I think of that, I just smile when it's used in conjunction with a hockey team beating another one. But do you believe in miracles? The miracles that are shown to us in the Word of God. Well, I'll tell you this. Dr. Luke certainly believed in miracles. And as we continue to examine his autopsy of the life of Jesus Christ, we learn in this passage that nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Turn with me in your your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke well, we'll pick up the account starting in verse 26. We just began this study last week. Uh, there's notebooks available. There's notes that will be in your, in your bulletin for those who want to follow along the complete series and have those for your own personal study, or even to be used again at another point in time where you want to do a Bible study or whatever. But in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, we start the account with these words. It was now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. "...to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, "'Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you.' But she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. And the angel said to her, "'Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus.' He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now at this time Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country to the city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it came about that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed among women are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And then Mary said, as she praised God, considering what God had done in her life, she said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bondslave. For behold, from this time and all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm, and he has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, and has exalted those who were humble. He has lifted up, and he has filled the hungry with good things, and sent away the rich empty handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers. To Abraham and his offspring forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. In this passage, Luke's conclusion is that nothing will be impossible with God, that God is more than capable of performing those so called miracles, miracles that make the angels winning the World Series and the Ducks winning the Stanley Cup <laughs> pale in comparison. I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, it's a miracle. Oh, it's a miracle. Oh, you know, the angels. Now the dogs. Oh, I hear people all the time. It's a, you know what? God's miracles make such things pale in comparison. You know, it's almost foolishness at times where we think about things in that light. You know, that's a miracle? No, let, let me show you what God has to say about miracles, signs and wonders that cause us to go, whoa, how awesome is God? In this passage, there are four points that we'll examine that will help us to see that nothing will be impossible with God. Number one, the details remind us of the marvelous plan of God. The details that were given in this passage of the conception of Mary, the details remind us of the marvelous plan of God. How incredible is that? In the sixth month, we're told in verse 26, if you look at that again, says that in the sixth month and this is the sixth month of elizabeth's pregnancy which again we saw was miraculous because here was a woman and a man who were too old to have children by their own understanding that it was absolutely impossible for them and yet god what caused a miracle in their life said i'm not limited by you He wasn't with Abraham and Sarah. They knew from history that, you know what, God's not limited. We have a God who's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask or think. We have a God who's able to do great and miraculous things. We have a God as we just look at creation and go, how awesome is our God? Well, I'll tell you what, just look around. And we live in an area that I can't help but praise God every time I go out for a run. I can't help every time I start to talk to somebody that lives somewhere else in the country. And if you're listening to this by CD, you know, we're praying for you. But, <laughs> but the reality of it is, is that, man, we live in a great place. I mean, it's just an incredible place when you see the creation of God, when you can look and see snow on the mountain and look the other direction and see the ocean and you go, man, our God is an awesome God. Look at his creation. When you go outside at night and you see the heavens declaring the handiwork of God, you go, you know what? What can be so big in my life that a God that big can't take care of? We have an awesome God. And the details that are seen here in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Gabriel was sent from God to deliver yet another birth announcement. This time to all places, were told, to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. Man, at this time, you know, at the time, this city was the subject of abiding Jewish contempt. The Jews could not stand this city and those who lived in it because it was a mongrelized, in their opinion, population. It was a shoddy, corrupt, halfway stop between the port cities of Tyre and Sidon. And it was overrun by two types of people that Jews despised, Gentiles and Roman soldiers. They had nothing good to say about the city of Nazareth. And in fact, if you flip with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, you'll have a better understanding of a statement that was made by a man by the name of Nathaniel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, the next Gospel. Notice in chapter 1, Nathaniel has some choice words to say about Nazareth. Go to verse 45 in John 1 and see that Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He said, We found the one that the law and the prophets said was coming. And he said, And it's Jesus. His name is Jesus. And he's of the city of Nazareth. He's the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I love this because this is Nathaniel. What you see is what you get. That's why Jesus said in him, there is no gal, man. He just like laid it out. It's like, wait a minute. Let me get this straight. The savior of the world is coming from Nazareth. What? Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him and said, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no gal. What you see is what you get with that brother. He said, and Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him and said, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Now, we don't know what he was doing. But one thing we know about God is that God knows all things. Psalm 139 says, God knows our thoughts. He knows as you sit here today what your thoughts are. He knows what time you went to bed, what time you got up. He knows some of you aren't still up. He knows that. You know, and he knows these things and God knows everything. And so whatever Nathaniel was doing under the tree was enough for him to be able to recognize you are the son of God. Because only God could have known my thoughts. Only God could have known what I was doing at that moment in time. And you weren't around and you saw me. Nathaniel answered and said, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And he answered and said, because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe you shall see greater things than these? It's just getting started. But I like what Philip said when he said, you know, was anything good come from Nazareth? He said, come and see. Check it out. Find out for yourself. That's why I love the Christian faith. God encourages us. He exhorts us. He commands us. Check it out for yourself. For the guy that's sitting on the plane with me, it says, you know what? I don't believe these crazy stories of the miracles. You know what God says to him and you, me? Check it out for yourself. See if it's not true. See if it's not trustworthy and reliable. Check it out for yourself. Dr. Luke checked it out for himself. He did an autopsy of the life of Jesus Christ, said, examine all the evidence, and here's the conclusion I came to. You know what? He is truly the Son of God. Check it out for yourself. Now as we look at this he's saying you know what can anything good come out of Nazareth and the point is that Nazareth wasn't anything or any place to write home about. If you go back to the gospel of Luke you'll notice that Gabriel also this time skipped over the temple the most holy place in Israel and entered into the lowly home of a poor peasant girl. Mary according to all biblical scholars Mary according to all biblical scholars they agree on this that Mary at this time was between the ages of 12 and 14 at the oldest. Without any question. Between the ages of 12 and 14, she was a virgin. He clearly states that. Now, you know, a doctor would know she was a virgin. To a virgin engaged, and for those who don't know what a virgin is, is a woman who has not had sexual relationships with a man, and we need to be clear about that so we understand the miracle that took place. She had never been with a man. She was engaged to a man whose name was Joseph. Engaged means she was betrothed in some, in some cases. In your translations, it'll say that. To be engaged in the, in, in the Jewish community basically was the same as being married. And in Matthew chapter 1, that's why when Joseph found out she was pregnant and he knew that he had never touched her physically, he sought to put her away or give her a writ of divorce to quietly protect her reputation. But at the same time, he recognized that he had never touched her. So, you know what? It's like, you know, the Lucy thing. You know, Lucy, you got some explaining to do. You know, it was like, hey, you know, how do you figure this all out? And he was troubled by that. And we'll see that in the account in Matthew. But the bottom line is that Luke, a physician, understood her condition and was mighty curious about that. As with all of the poor peasant girls at the time, Mary was illiterate. Her knowledge of the scriptures was limited to what she memorized at home and heard in the synagogue. Women were not educated, as they are still not educated in many parts of the world. When you consider what we had just seen happen in the Middle East, women are are considered to be second-class, third-class citizens at best, and many are not even given the, the privilege of being educated. And that was the case that was happening here. So Mary, from a human perspective, was a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. But God sought her out. You know, it's a beautiful portrait of God's love. As Luke will later write in Luke 19, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. To proclaim to her the greatest news ever told to the humblest of people. You know, when I was studying this, I had to take a step back for a second and, you know, and just thank God as I consider my own background. Coming from a little coal mining town in a place called Castle Shannon, Pennsylvania was a place that was just like this. It was a no, nobody town with nothing to do and no one ever came from it to make it any more you know, infamous than it was. And our town backed up to another town. It's called Mount Lebanon, Pennsylvania. And Mount Lebanon was the place that everyone wished that they could live. It was where people who had money lived. And when we went and played their high school in football, it was one of those schools that actually, this is in the 70s, had AstroTurf, you know, for their high school football field. You know, we came from a field that basically it was a parking lot that they threw dirt over and then they put oil on it to keep the dirt from blowing away. And you'd be running, you know, on the field and all of a sudden where a patch of dirt blew away, you'd hit the asphalt. And that was always a fun experience. I was like, what happened? I don't know, you know, and you just slid on the asphalt. And, you know, we, we used to look and would see a community like that and go, man, I wonder what it would be like to live on that side of the tracks, you know, to come from that place, to have that type of privilege. And as a result, they became our greatest rival, as you can imagine. And any time we beat them, we took exceptionally. There was exceptional joy, you know, in, in beating them. And, and yet when I think about all of that and I look back, And recognize that, you know, this this message that God is sharing is for all people. He went to the temple first to a priest, one who was seeking God and lived in a life of privilege. The priests live a life of privilege. And the angel Gabriel went to him, a priest in a temple, the most privileged of all people, and said, you know what? A savior. Will be coming. And then he went on the other side of the tracks. From the temple to the town that was despised. From the priest to the peasant girl. And he said to her. A savior is coming. And I got all excited because I recognized that the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of of God. Is whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord. Shall be saved whosoever, those who were privileged to those who are peasants, those who went to the temple, to those who lived in a town despised by many, that you and I fit there somewhere in that spectrum of all of humanity and most fall somewhere in between. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe on Him would not perish and have everlasting life. Man, as I was studying and I was writing this down, I just had to stop and say, thank you. Thank you that, you know, in this obscure town, this coal mining town, you moved this all the way across country. Our own free will to make the choice to move to pursue an education or whatever it was we were looking for. And God says, I got something different at the other end. I've got my son waiting there for you. So that if you trust in him and believe upon him and his death and the power of his resurrection, you shall be saved. We moved to California thinking we were looking for a better life. And God said, I'm moving you to California so that you can have eternal life. Man, I love that. I never get tired of telling people about that. It never wears off, contrary to what people thought 25 years ago. It'll wear off. It hasn't worn off, man. It's worn on and on and on and on. See, you know, Mary, you know, as I look at this, she was a peasant girl. And and that's why when we look at her expressions and her answers and what she said, it's a better understanding of, are you kidding me? Who am I that God would find favor with me? I mean, look where I live and look at this house. And I mean, look at me. And are you kidding me? God would find favor on me? No, not kidding you at all. What's incredible is that Queen Victoria at one point said she thanked God for the M in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And as I was studying this, I I was reminded of that. And I thought, what's the M? And if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you'll see what she was referring to. She said, I thank God for the M in verse 26. This is beautiful. First Corinthians 1 verse 18. For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever. I will set aside. Where is the wise man and where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? I couldn't help but think of the man I sat on a plane next to. You know, the, the debater, the wise man in his own wisdom, and he, the foolishness of God. It's like, you know what, that's crazy. Miracles, they're crazy. It's like, where is the wise man? Ask him this question. Oh, I didn't think of that. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. It says, For indeed, Jews ask for signs, and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, to Jews a stumbling block, to Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And here's the verse that she was talking about. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, Not many mighty, not many noble. She said, I praise God for the M in verse 26. That the verse doesn't say, not any noble. Not any mighty. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame those which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not that he might nullify the things that are that no man should boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That just it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Isn't that a great passage as it relates to Mary's life and yours and mine? You know what? The foolish things of the world. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? and the answer is yes that which god makes good isn't that great dr luke understood what it meant to be a virgin back in luke chapter 1 he emphasized this point she was engaged as i mentioned and there's an important detail that that's laid out for us in verse 27 It says that he was of the, whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David and the virgin's name was Mary. And this is an incredible prophetic thing that we see uttered in this one simple sentence. But as Luke dug into it, he said, man, this is awesome when you understand it. And that is this, Joseph was from the line of David through Solomon, but his line was cursed and no one from his flesh could descend upon the throne of David. Joseph's seed could not sit on the throne of David. You can read about it in Jeremiah chapter 22, verses 28 through 30. So Joseph's seed could not sit on the throne of David, yet the legal rights of Messiah must come from Solomon's line, according to Matthew chapter 1. Mary was from the line of David through Nathan, so the the miracle is this. Jesus' flesh was of the line of David through Mary, and his legal rights to the throne came through Joseph. And for those who study this, the probability when we talk about 10 to the 20th power, whatever it is, there is no statistics you can put on how this could ever take place other than it is just simply a miracle and plan of God. Isn't that awesome? It's just incredible when you think about it. The point is, again, don't lose sight. Nothing will be impossible with God. Now we pick it up at verse 28. It says, And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But this statement greatly troubled her, and she kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. You know, what did Gabriel mean by this, this famous greeting, Hail, favored one? Raymond Brown, the acknowledged dean of Catholic New Testament scholars, says that full of grace is too strong a rendering as it is in some translations. For if Luke wanted to say this, he would have used the same phrase he employed in Acts chapter 6, verse 8, where it refers to Stephen as full of God's grace. A more accurate translation, a more accurate uh, word that's used is hell favored one. Says the problem, Brown notes, that the Vulgate's faulty translation gave rise to a medieval idea that, quote, Mary had every gift, not only spiritual but secular, even above those given to angels. And it gave rise to the idea of Mary becoming a dispenser of grace, resulting in prayers being offered to her. The ultimate extension of this faulty thinking came on December 8th, 1854. When Pius IX declared the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, teaching this from the first moment of her conception, the Blessed Virgin Mary was by the singular grace and privilege of Almighty God, in a view of merits of Jesus Christ, Savior of mankind, kept free from stain of original sin. That doctrine is a sad and totally unjustified distortion. We will see next week when we get together and look at the praise that Mary has for God herself. She clearly states the first thing is this. My soul exalts the Lord in verse 47. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Mary understood her need to be saved from the consequence of sin. And we'll see this as we go through it. And the sad reality is, is, at the same time, what the Protestants have done is that we have demeaned Mary because of the exaggeration on one end. We've demeaned her on the other end. And yet at the same time, the word of God teaches that she is blessed among all women. Of the billions of women that ever lived on the face of the earth, God divinely chose to show her his favor by picking her to be the bearer of his son. She is most certainly to be blessed by all. She is a blessed woman of God. And from her life, there are many things that you and I can learn as it relates to her relationship with God, her understanding of God, and her submission to God. As we look at this and recognize that, you know what, she most certainly, as she tells us later that we'll study, is that we will, she will be blessed by all generations We will remember her and we will call her blessed by God. You know, Mary was blessed because she had found favor with God. The greeting, Hail, favored one, means to be shown the grace of God. Guess what? You and I who have come to faith in Jesus Christ have been shown the grace of God. For it's by grace we're saved through faith. And not of ourselves. You and I who have come to faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sin have found favor with God. In essence, we could say hail favored one to each one that we know is truly born again. Hail favored one. And I want you to notice the second thing that he says, the Lord is with you. And I can't help but think of the great commission where Jesus said, you know, go into all the world. And you know what? And I will be with you always. To the, to the ends of the earth, I am with you always. For those who are born again, the Spirit of God indwells us, lives within us, and God is with us. He has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but one of power and grace and love. We have the Spirit of God living within us, a hand payment or a down payment of the promises of God, according to Ephesians 1. We are favored by God, and God is with us. And that's the greeting that he was giving to her. Isn't it a great greeting? And I want you to notice something about Mary that I want to challenge you to think about in your own life in this. She was greatly troubled at this statement and she kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. She kept pondering. I mean, she kept meditating upon what he had said. Thy word, O God, I have hidden in my heart so that that, that I don't sin against you. I'll meditate on your word day and night, being careful to do according to all that is written within it. Not to go to the left or to the right, but meditating on the word of God, pondering what it is that God has for me in my life. God, what does this passage mean? You know, we need to ask ourselves when we study the word of God, God, what are you saying to me What does this mean to me and how do you want me to live my life based on what I've just heard and what I have just learned? How does this affect me? What do you want of me? You should never read scripture without asking the question, God, what is it that I must do based on what I just heard? It's just not for head knowledge. It's to be applied in our life. So many times we come, we take notes, we write it down, we put it away, and then we set it aside. And then we go back to our life as if somehow or another, we haven't even learned that truth. You know, we're to be doers of the word, not hearers only. We're to apply these truths as they come and as they're presented to us. And she kept pondering in her heart, God, what does this mean to me? What is this that you want me to do for you? And who am I that you would even consider me because I know me and I know there's nothing good in me whatsoever. And the more we clearly see how faulty we are. The more ready we have become to be used by God. God cannot cannot use a man greatly until he hurts him deeply. Let me ask you a question before I move on. And that is this. Does your life reflect this life of Mary who pondered those things that she learned and she considered what it meant to her? Another Mary who sat at the feet of Jesus knew what it meant to ponder the words of God and the truth of God. While Martha, her sister, was busy and distracted getting everything ready, you know, for those who were visiting. And she was so angry with Mary who sat at the feet of Jesus. She went to him and said, Lord, make my sister come and help me. And he said, you know what? She's chosen what's better. And that is she's sitting at my feet because I'm not with you. I'm not going to be here long. And so she understood the priority. You know what? We can grab something later to eat. We got God in our house. I think I'll set that stuff aside and spend time visiting with God. You got God in your house. I got God in my house. You know what? A lot of times we stick them on a shelf somewhere and close the door on them. Open the door and pick out your Bible and spend time in meditation with God. you got God in your house in the presence of His Word. Spend time in the Word of God. Meditate on it. And then when you're done with it, say, God, now how do you want me to apply today what I just learned from you? When I go out for a run, it's the time that God has my attention like no other time. It's a wonderful time of fellowship with God. As I meditate on what I had studied and I learned, and over and over in my head I go over what it is, and there's never a time that I don't go and say, God, and what does this mean to me for your purposes and for your glory? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? This life application is set aside time each day to ponder and keep pondering God's word to you. Gabriel's announcement as we go through, it, he says he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary took it all in and she understood the message. You're going to become pregnant. You're going to call your son Jesus salvation. He's the son of God. He's the savior of the world. Hey, think about that for a little bit. Ponder this, those, who have, those of us who know Christ, the Spirit of God lives within us. And God wants to love people through us. What does it mean to be kind and patient? What does it mean to be forgiving and not take into account a wrong suffered? What, it, what, what does it mean to not act unbecomingly, powder, get your own way? What does it mean to, to be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ has forgiven you? God, what does all that mean to me and how do I apply it in my life even today? Yesterday, I did a memorial service for a woman who knew the Lord. Praise God, she's in heaven with Jesus. But you know what? There are a lot of people that were there who were living lives of regrets. And they wished if they had time to do it, they would do things over again. All I'm telling you is this. Don't ever live a life of regret. If you do what God is calling you to do today, at the end of all of your days, with a clear conscience before God, you can say, I have fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. I have done what you have required of me to do each and every day of my life. And therefore, I have no regrets. People have asked me often when it comes time to ministry things, if you had to do it over again, would you do it the same way? And the answer is absolutely. And the reason is very simple. Because we have never got out in front of God as God leads in our life. We've always slowed down and say, God, where are you leading? What are you saying? What do you want me to do? And until you make it clear to me, I'm just going to keep on doing what you've called and gifted me to do until you make it clear that you want something else done. And people say, well, man, that's arrogant. Everybody has regrets. Well, you know what? Not if you're walking with God and not if you're leaning on his own, not on your own understanding, but on him acknowledging all your ways. The Bible says he will direct your paths. A wonderful thing. Mary got the message. The details remind us of the marvelous plan of God. Number two, in verses 34 through 38, she said this question, and Mary said to the angel, how can this be? Mary's dependency rested upon the great power of God, and we shall see that very simply. Notice this. She said, and you know what? And, and Mary said to the angel, how can this be? I want you to recognize and understand that she is in no way rebuked by God for asking this question. You and I need to ask God questions, not questioning his ability, not questioning what he clearly states, but just asking the question of details. And that her dependency would be on the great power of God. She just said a very simple question How can I have a child when I've never been with a man? And you know what? And the answer answered very simply and said to her, because the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. Here's how it's going to happen. You and I need to spend time asking God questions about details. And I always laugh about this because I always tell people this. Well, you know, you know especially as it relates to the church. Have you guys found a building? Have you got this answer? Have you got that answer? Another answer? And I clearly say, no. Because I have learned in my my walk with God that I'm on a need-to-know basis. And he'll let me know when he thinks I need to know. We pray, we're diligent, we're responsible. We make plans, but God directs our steps, and we just walk in obedience with them. And you know what? You know, sometimes you just don't have all the answers, but we know where we can turn to the one who does. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously and above reproach. So when we don't have the answers, we go to God, and we pray that he gives us the answers. And if he chooses not to, guess what? Then we still trust him anyway, and we're still diligent at the task at hand. You know, so many times we just like put the task at hand aside because we want to know all the details. You know, he didn't give them all. Mary was given the details. And the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And what he's saying is this. You know what? Mary, your dependency must be on the power of God. The power of God. And behold... Even your Elizabeth, your relative, who was conceived in her old age, she was barren, and now she's in her sixth month. And I want you to compare Mary to uh, Zacharias. Show me a sign <laughs> to, how can this be? Totally different thing. Why? Because you know what? God knows our heart. He knows whether we're challenging him and questioning him and being rebellious against his clearly divine word or whether or not we're just looking for answers and we just want to be more informed so that we can be more obedient in what God wants us to do. And I love that. And in the case of, of Mary, he was, she was just given the answer. In the case of Zacharias, he wanted a sign. He got a sign. You know, and and it's like, wait a minute, that's not, you know, this isn't going to work. And so the question that I have for you and for me is this, do you you depend upon God's power or your own strength to get through this life? Or are you like so many people go like this? Well, I I don't want to bother God on this one. I'll save it up for the big ones. Now, all I can ask you is this question. Consider Almighty God... And consider this one versus what you call the big one. Think about this word picture. God, this one, or your big one. God, this one, or the big one. Here's what I'm thinking. I don't know. I'm thinking to almighty God, all our big ones are little ones. And all our little ones are even literal ones. The point is very simple. Take everything to God. Cast all your cares upon God, and He will care for you. Not just the ones you don't think you can handle, because what you and I don't realize is this we can't handle any of them. We can't. We think we can. And then when we break it and mess it up and make it worse, that little one we thought would handle for ourselves, we turn into a big one because we should have gave it to them then instead of working on it on our own. That's why I praise God for everyone who's gifted to do things I'm not. Try to work on plumbing, the little thing, I turn into a big thing. I immediately now call friends who are plumbers. You know, have we all been there? You know, you start to paint and you just mess it all up. And then it's a big job. So it's like, you know what? Just call people who are gifted in those areas right off the bat so that you don't mess everything up. Same with God. I'm just getting a point of going, you know what? I'm calling on him for everything. I'm calling on for everything because there's nothing big or little to God. Everything is little to almighty God. See, a quick glance back through history should encourage all of us to depend upon the great power of God. Mary knew the history of her people. She undoubtedly thought of Moses and his exodus from Egypt. She thought of the plague. She thought of the parting of the Red Sea. She realized that the people walked across the Red Sea and their feet didn't even get wet. She realized millions were in the wilderness and God provided food and water for 40 years in a cloud by day to protect them from the intense desert sun. And every time I'm out for a run and a cloud comes by, I think about this history and I say, God, thank you. Praise you. You're awesome, God. Can you imagine millions of people being out in the desert? If you've ever been to Palm Desert, you've ever been to Arizona in the middle of summer, 110, 112, 116. And you're just going, man. And one cloud comes by just that one second blocking out the sun. You go, whoo, praise God. Seriously. And then then they were out there for 40 years and God protected them with a cloud by day and fire by night to give them directions. I'm thinking, Mary's thinking, you know what? we got a pretty great, awesome God. It's incredible. And then she went down through the history of her people and Joseph, he was seemingly buried in the deep recesses of the criminal justice system for a crime he refused to commit. He was forced to depend upon God's power. Many people are in that position, forced to depend upon the power of God because this is bigger than them. Israel and her enemies, forced to depend upon the power of God because their enemies were so great. David and Goliath, this giant, but you know what David never lost sight of? How awesome his God was compared to that puny nine foot six inch giant. You're big, God's bigger. Fiery furnace, big. Heat, hot, God's bigger. Lions, come on. It's like, come on, God, guys, test me. What's so hard about me closing the mouth of a lion when I created lions? Come on now. What's so hard about me protecting Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a fiery furnace when I created the sun? That's a lot hotter. So I'm told. But it's like, you know, in in their weakness, they experienced firsthand God's power. The disciples saw the power of God and Jesus demonstrated time and again over disease and demons and distance and death. In fact, the demons recognized that Jesus was the son of the most high God. What do we have to do with you? See, are you finding something bigger in your life that you need to face? Good. Good. Like Mary, you need to depend upon God's power. In a biography entitled, Billy Graham, God's Ambassador, I came across the following quotes that I want to share with you in relation to this. He said, in his first crusade, which was in Los Angeles, it was supposed to be a three-week crusade, and every week they extended it and extended it and extended it. And finally, they'd extended it to eight weeks. And he wrote this. He said, physically, I wanted the campaign to come to a close. There comes a time when the evangelist becomes physically exhausted. I had lost 20 pounds, and my entire dependence had to be from God for messages and for strength. I learned that a strange spiritual law operates. Truly, God's strength is made perfect in weakness. The weaker I became, the more powerful became the preaching." And that strange law that he's referring to is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Where Paul said that, you know what? It was in my weakness that I discovered the strength of our God. When you realize you can't do it, then God can come in and get all the glory for what he does. But if you think you're doing it, then God gets no glory. And the whole purpose of God's people is to give glory to our God. He went on to say, he said, I'm not a great preacher and I don't claim to be great preacher. I've heard great preaching many times. I wish that was one of those great preachers. I'm an ordinary preacher just communicating the gospel in the best way I know how. And man, I'll tell you what, go back to uh, Luke chapter 1 verse 38 and tell me it doesn't reflect the life of Mary. And Mary said this, show me a sign No, she didn't. (laughs) Mary said, Behold the bond slave, the lowest of all slaves, the lowest of lowest. Behold the bond slave of the Lord. Be it done to me according to your word. How awesome is that? Be it done to me according to your word. Is that your heart's desire? You get in the word of God and God says, Chuck, this is what I want in your life. And say, well, God, be it done to me according to your word. Do whatever it is that you want to do. Some of you know because God is calling you and challenging you to get involved in serving him in some way. And you want all the answers up front, but he's not giving you any. Because he wants you to walk by faith and not by sight. He's telling telling you where he wants you to go. But you're fighting him. And God says, "You know what? You need to have a submissive heart. Be it done to me according to your will, according to your word, according to God's will. She didn't worry that others would think she was crazy or a liar. She lived the rest of her life with people ridiculing her because of the strange circumstances that surrounded the birth of her first son. That son of fornication as he was called often Jesus in Luke chapter 8 as an example. But her believing response was to surrender herself to God as his willing servant. She experienced the grace of God and she believed the word of God. And therefore she could be used by the spirit to accomplish the will of God. Mary trusted God, body, soul, and spirit. What a great example to follow. Do you belong totally to the Lord? Do you love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Body, soul, and spirit? Have you committed your life to him? Have you trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, believing that he died for you and he rose again from the dead? If you have, have you committed now your body to him, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? That the things that you see with your eyes are things that would be pleasing to God? The words that come out of your mouth would be pleasing to him? The things that you listen to would be pleasing to God? Do you have feet that run towards evil or as the Bible says, feet that run away from evil? And to do that which is pleasing to God? In Romans 6 it says, quit presenting yourself as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as instruments of righteousness. He goes on and says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship and not to be conformed to this world. Don't be like everybody else. Don't look at what other people are looking at. Don't listen to what other people listen to. Don't do what other people are doing. Have you committed your body to him as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship? And not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind as you get into the Word of God and meditate and ponder what God has said, that you will know the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. See, do you totally belong to God? Like Mary, surrender to God and depend upon His great power. You say, But God, this is so big. It says, this, this is a habit of my life. It's behavior of my life. I can't, I just can't stop it. No, you can't, but God can. What is your great struggle that's greater than our mighty and awesome God? Nothing. And in reality, it comes down to this. We do what we do because we choose to do it. We want to do it. And we use our our, our inability to stop, which really is an excuse for our unwillingness to stop, as our excuse to be disobedient to God. God will hold us accountable for our choices. And I would choose to trust the power of God to deliver me from those things that aren't pleasing to God. And to God goes all the glory and praise. Number three, Elizabeth's delight responded to the wonderful promises of God. And you can read those in verses 39 through 45. But, you know, Elizabeth's delight responded to the wonderful promises of God. You and I, to have delight in our life, need to go to the promises of God. Yesterday at the memorial service that I did, I went through all the promises of God to those who have trusted in Christ. What a great and wonderful truth that is. To be confident in this very thing, that those of us who have come to faith in Christ when we're absent from this body will be present with the Lord. To go to the promises of God that we who have died first, you know, that Jesus Christ will come. And we who are alive will be caught up in the air and those who are dead in Christ will raise first honored before all. And you know what? And Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. And if it wasn't so, I wouldn't have told you that. But because I go and prepare a place, I'll come for you again and you will be with me always. You know, Elizabeth delighted in the promises of God. She went through the word of God and said, man, you know what, God, you've made promises and I am delighting in those. Anytime we're discouraged, beaten up, broken, downhearted, go to the promises of God and I'll guarantee you, you'll find delight. And the last thing that we'll talk about in great detail and Examine next week is number four. And that is Mary's doxology resulted in tremendous praise of God. And I'll tell you what, we're going to learn how to worship God next week. We're going to learn how to worship God from one who has been touched by God as Mary was. That song, the Magnificent that we see there. Is a wonderful song of praise. And you know what? We all need to learn how to worship God in a way that's pleasing to God instead of it all being about us. So many times we come to worship and we come as what? Observers, criticizing, ridiculing, making notes of how things should be instead of participating with a heart that's right before God in praise of what he's done in our life we will learn to be participants in worship and not observers only. In closing, here's what I learned from Mary. Take it for what it's worth. Number one, she was humble and she was poor in spirit. She wasn't self-sufficient. And the posture of her heart made, it, made her open to the grace of God. The self-sufficient will never turn to God for anything because they find no need for him. But those who are humble and not self-sufficient and recognize their need will immediately turn to God. You know what? I can't forgive myself if I've offended you, oh God. I need to come to you to find mercy and forgiveness. Number two is she was reflective and meditative. And it made her open to the word and the work of God. She was open to ask the question, God, what is it you want to do with my life? What is it? You've saved me from the judgment and the wrath of God. You have given me eternal life. I have been bought with a price, as Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6. I have been bought with a price. Therefore, what's left for me to do, but to glorify you in this body. God, what is it you want to do in my life for your purposes and for your glory? Mary was believing regarding God's power to be sufficient, for what she thought were the impossibilities of life. She knew God enough that he said, you know what, you haven't been with a man, you know what, but that doesn't matter because the power of God, the spirit of God, the presence of God will overshadow you and you will conceive by the Holy Spirit. This isn't a big thing for God and you know him well enough that you've seen his history, you know how he works, you've seen all that he can do and you know what, she said, your word's good enough for me. Can we get that simple in our walk with God that what God says is enough for us? God said it, I believe it. Amen. Close. Finally, she gave herself in profound submission to God. I am the Lord's servant. I'm the Lord's servant. Can you say that with a clear conscience before God that your life is lived today as God's servant? Can I challenge you to consider then what is it that you're living for? What is it that you want to do? What is it you're trying to accomplish and every time I visit somebody dying on a bed somewhere in a hospital and this woman was in her, in, her, in her house, I'm just reminded of the brevity of life and the importance of living a life that's pleasing to God. Because all the other pursuits are just vanity of vanity, says the preacher man. They're all vain. Live your life to please God. Brother Lawrence said this, Lord, make me according to your heart. I like that. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this time that we can learn from the life of Mary, your humble servant. What a wonderful woman that she was in demonstrating what it means to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, we just thank you for that. We thank you for for your word. And I just pray that we can just simply believe what we're taught as we consider how awesome a God you truly are. In Jesus' name, amen.